Alberta Premier Danielle Smith is calling CBC reporting about her government defamatory and baseless. However, the CBC is not backing down and refuses to retract its story about the Premier, even publishing a second story. The Bank of Canada hiked interest rates yet again on Wednesday, the eighth such move since the central bank began its recent series of increases last year. In response to being swarmed by protesters in Hamilton on Tuesday evening, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says, quote, a handful of angry people do not define what democracy is. Hello, Canada. It's Thursday, January 26, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Rachel Emanuel. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Following Alberta Premier Danielle Smith's claims that CBC's reporting about her office is, quote, defamatory, CBC News says it will not retract an article that alleged that staff in Smith's office emailed Crown prosecutors challenging their assessment on Coote's border blockade cases. In an email to True North on Wednesday, CBC head of public affairs Chuck Thompson said the organization stands behind the journalism in the story and as such, we have no intention of retracting it. CBC News also doubled down on its reporting with a second story alleging that Smith is inappropriately pressuring Justice Department officials to intervene in pandemic-related charges. Smith, the civil service, and Crown prosecutors denied similar allegations earlier this week. In both articles making such allegations, the CBC relied on anonymous sources. In a statement, Smith called the allegations, quote, baseless. Smith stated, quote, the premier calls on the CBC to retract its outrageous story and further that the CBC and the official opposition apologize to the premier, premier's office staff, Alberta Crown prosecutors, and those in the Alberta Public Service for the damage caused to their reputations and that of Alberta's justice system. Rachel, you've been covering this story in detail. I know when we last spoke about this, you were curious as to what would happen next. Would things simmer down? Would CBC provide greater evidence? Instead, we see what's happened as they have upped the ante. Yeah, absolutely. This is a huge story in Alberta right now. Certainly, the CBC has not provided further evidence. As we know, to the first story that they published, we have a bunch of people coming out and saying this is not true. That's not just the Premier and her office, but also the civil service after they conducted an independent review and the Alberta Crown prosecutors. They said no emails were found. This isn't true. So I really thought maybe CBC would have some more evidence, do something to show their work, essentially, instead of just relying on anonymous sources. But they didn't do that. They didn't retract the story. They said they stand behind its reporting. And now we have another story that's similar, but you can tell this story is already moving the goalpost because in the second story, it's not that there were emails between Premier staff and Crown prosecutors, but rather that now the Premier is being accused of inappropriately pressuring her justice minister to really drop the COVID charges, which the premier is denying. So we can see it's a similar breath as the last story, but the goalpost has moved a little bit. I have no problem with outlets using anonymous sources. It's important at times to protect people's jobs when they're giving you a good story. But I would say in this case, the barometer for using anonymous sources has risen because the credibility of the last story has been seriously challenged and CBC has been unable to back up their claims by showing their work. And now again, they're relying on anonymous sources. Even within government, you know, people have agendas. It's possible that people lie. And I would just hate first the CBC to be used as a vehicle 
in these cases to really just be spreading gossip. And that might not be what's happening here, but we need to see their work and know that they have more evidence to back up these serious allegations. Rachel, in some respects, this is very reminiscent of the SNC-Lavalin scandal, where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was accused of pressuring the Justice Minister to interfere in prosecution that was going on. And that famous line where he said the story in the Globe and Mail is false, we later learned, well, hold on a second, that's open to interpretation. The big difference, though, is we had Jody Wilson-Raybould, who was willing to stake her career on her interpretation of what happened. She would appear before a committee to speak in great detail from notes that she had taken. So we had very substantial things to base our public opinion on and for reporters to base their reporting on. We don't have any of that in this story. In fact, we just have denials from everyone. So right now, I feel like, Rachel, we're in the put up or shut up category for CBC uh, to validate its story. And to your point, they're they're not doing that. Well, absolutely. And the SNC-11 was a huge problem for the Trudeau government. And if this is true, it'll be a huge problem for the Smith government if evidence comes out later on to show that these allegations are true, especially after now she's denied it repeatedly. It will be an enormous problem for her, her government, especially headed into a spring election. But right now, I think most people are really doubting these claims. I see that are kind of across the aisle. People are saying, okay, CBC, we need to show your work. Anonymous sources in this case aren't really enough. We need to see records of emails or have you listened to phone call transcripts or notes that people have taken at meetings. We have none of this right now. We don't even know how many sources the CBC has spoken with. We just know they've spoken to a couple. Is that two? Is it eight? I feel like all of these things would help lend credibility to this story. We just don't have any of that credibility at this moment. I mean, how do you think this will end? I feel like they can stand by the story by saying, well, the anonymous sources did tell us that, but upon further grilling, Maybe there's a hole or two in their story. So we did nothing wrong, but uh, the anonymous source did. And okay, we're going to ghost away from this. And then to your original point, Rachel, that's why you shouldn't be leaning on anonymous sources all the time. That's just it. And I do believe that's how this is going to end. If we look at the statement the CBC gave us yesterday, its fuller statement said, you know, we gave the premier and her office an opportunity to react. And we included that response prominently in the story. Well, okay, that's that's not really good enough. That's great that you allowed them to respond as is custom. But if you're printing more than rumors, if you're printing false allegations, this is something to be taken seriously. I think one of the most common things in journalism school is, you know, someone tells you that there's a fire outside and someone tells you that it's raining. You don't just print both of those and say, you know, I'm not sure which it is. This is what everyone's saying. You have to go look out the window yourself and see what's actually going on. I just don't see them actually going to the window right now to see what's going on. Seems like they're content to print these allegations without any substantial evidence. And I think that's a really big problem. And I think it's a big problem for CBC, especially because typically they do have much higher publishing standards. And I know that they have lawyers on staff who can look over their story. So obviously this got approved. I'm just wondering how it got approved to be published. On Wednesday, the Bank of Canada hiked interest rates yet again the eighth such move since the central bank began its recent series of increases last year. The rise to 4.5% marked a quarter percent growth in the policy interest rate, a rate which the bank uses as a primary tool to control inflation in Canada. The bank also signaled that this may be the last such rate increase, as they hope to now pause the recent trend. Combined with lower energy prices and improving supply chains around the world, the bank expects the new policy rate of 4.5% to help Canadians deal with rising prices. The bank said the move was done to lower the Consumer Price Index, a catalogue representing everyday prices 
that impact typical consumers in Canada. Anthony, the fact that the Bank of Canada says this may be the last rate hike may be good news for Canadians. Do you suspect that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, or is this just another sign of worse things to come? Well, a bit of both. I know we've discussed this before, Rachel, and I think one of the challenges is that it takes a couple quarters for these uh, high prices to actually work through the system. There are already reports about how there's going to be further layoffs potentially in certain sectors, and also grocery prices are expected to rise further before they stall and hopefully decrease. After protesters swarmed Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Hamilton during the Liberal Cabinet retreat on Tuesday, the PM was asked by reporters about the confrontation. Here's what he said. We're going to continue to be out there. We're not going to let a handful of angry people uh, interfere with the democratic processes that Canadians have always taken pride in, in being able to uh, you know, come up and, and meet uh, members of parliament, ministers, or even the prime minister and share uh, their preoccupations. That's one of the strengths of this country, uh, and we're going to ensure that that always uh, continues to be. True North was one of the few outlets on the ground in Hamilton when the confrontation happened between the PM and protesters. You can watch Harrison Faulkner's videos of on-the-ground footage and read the full report at www.tnc.news. Rachel, it's an interesting response here from the Prime Minister because he talks about it being important for people to be able to approach the Prime Minister and even Cabinet Ministers just on the street, and yet that whole experience was, okay, fine, when there's a hundred of them approaching him angrily, shouldn't necessarily be expected to have a cup of tea with them. But when he had smaller groups approach him or when he had True North approach him to ask a question, he just wouldn't even acknowledge that people were there. Yeah, it's certainly a certain type of people or should I say a certain type of voter that he wants approaching him. You know, I think over the last year, year and a half, it's become increasingly hard for the prime minister to go in public. We even saw that in the last election at every single one of his campaign stops. There were a crowd of angry protesters and I certainly didn't see the prime minister being willing to meet with any of those people. It's also funny when we think about it during the Freedom Convoy. I mean, that was a totally different type of protest. People were very positive. They weren't angry. They weren't yelling and screaming. They were singing songs and dancing, and the Prime Minister refused to meet with them. So I just don't really think there's a lot of credibility to his statement here. Yeah, certainly. The the journalist asking the question did ask him, does he feel like there's a shift in the tone towards how Canadians perceive him? And I think it's undeniable that something like that is going on right now. I also think it's interesting when he said there's a certain people that are, you know, these angry protesters are interfering with democracy. These people aren't interfering with democracy. This is democracy. It's democracy. You have the right to be angry at your political leaders, especially when they're making policy choices that are affecting you in a negative way. And we've talked about how the Trudeau government is intent on pursuing these ideological climate initiatives while people are really, really struggling financially right now. You know, and a lot of people are coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic having lost their business, having missed their cancer screening, and now it's too late or their cancer is really aggressive, or they have serious mental health issues. So there's a lot of really angry people right now, and I think rightfully so. The Prime Minister needs to come to terms with that, rather than basically shunning them out of Canadian society. On Wednesday evening, Gerald Butts, who was, of course, the former senior advisor to Justin Trudeau for a number of years, he posted to Twitter in response to Harrison Faulkner's video These folks are not the first people in history to take selfish advantage of the freedoms granted them by their democratic country to put on a show for the cameras. They won't be the last. Uh, His these folks line, I take it not to be referring to to Harrison and other reporters on the ground, but to the protesters here. 
a lot of uncomfortable reaction to that because people saying, hold on a second, like the, the, the country, the government, Justin Trudeau has granted us our freedoms and the way that we're speaking, the way we're protesting is not acceptable. So what we have to deal with it. I mean, this coming from a government or at least a man who was in a government that is now very aggressively pursuing uh, legislation that's been labeled online censorship. I and mean, this is kind of a worrying response we're hearing from people. That was one of the craziest things that I've seen online all week. I couldn't believe that he said that. I don't agree with it whatsoever. I think he's fundamentally incorrect. I don't believe that our freedoms are given to us by government. When we look at countries across the world that are very oppressive, we don't say, oh, well, that's good for them. They just grew up in a country that happens to be oppressive. We say, no, that's wrong. These people deserve their rights and freedoms. As a human being, you inherently deserve freedom. That's an inherent right that all human beings are granted, whether you live in a society and under a government that grants that or not. So I think his statement was out to lunch there, and I take issue with how threatening it sounded. That's it for today, and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.